Well, it's true, uh, isn't it, that very often how we think of ourselves, our, our self-perception affects the way that we behave and our attitudes, uh, our, our self-image, our self-esteem affects the confidence that we approach the world with. Maybe we think of ourselves as, as powerful or successful. Or maybe we think of ourselves as, as a loser or as a victim or as insignificant. Whatever it is, the way we think of ourselves has, can have a massive impact on the way that we act. How do you imagine uh, the people that Peter is writing to were tempted to think about themselves? We saw last week, didn't we, that uh, they were undergoing trials. They were facing persecution. They were being marginalised. They were being trampled down in society. They must have felt pretty small. They must have felt pretty weak. They're beginning to think of themselves uh, as insignificant, unloved, ineffectual, powerless. Their self-esteem must have been at rock bottom. And as a result, maybe they were thinking, maybe they were tempted to give up. Maybe they were tempted to hide, to, to compromise, to go back to their old way of life. And into that situation, Peter wants to remind them of their identity before God. He wants, them, he wants to remind them who they are. So in the passage that we looked at last week, uh, we saw, we were, Peter reminded us what God has done for us. This week, he's going to remind us what our status is before God. And so the question uh, I want us to ask, or I want to ask you this morning is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And we're going to see three things in this passage uh, that Peter tells us that's going to help us to understand, uh, to answer that question. Firstly, Peter says, you are God's presence on the earth. Peter begins with some uh, very strange imagery, doesn't he? Look at verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this living stone that uh, Peter's talking about is Jesus. He's the one who was rejected by men but chosen by God. And when, uh, when Peter talks about uh, you, you come to Jesus, come to Jesus, he means uh, accept Jesus, trust Jesus. We see that from uh, his quote from Isaiah in verse 6. You see, in this, in this passage, Jesus is presented as, as one who divides the world into two groups. In verses 7 to 8, we've got, uh, on the one hand, there's those who accept Jesus, who trust him, and uh, who believe uh, in Jesus, and to whom he is deeply precious. And then on the other hand, there, uh, there are those who reject Jesus, who don't trust him. And those that reject him are like builders who, who look at a stone and think, this one's no good, we'll, we'll chuck this one. But actually that stone uh, turns out to be the one that God has made to be the most important one, the capstone. 
And so people are divided by their attitude to Jesus. There are those who believe, who trust in him, and there are those who reject him and stumble over him because they uh, disobey the message. But we're going to focus on what happens to those who believe in him. So what, what happens to them? Well, Peter says, as we come to Jesus, we are being built into a spiritual house. We're being built into a spiritual house. Peter's using the imagery there from the Old Testament temple. That was a, a place that represented God's presence. It was a physical building uh, where, where God was, was said to live, to dwell. So if you wanted to meet with God, you would go up to Jerusalem and you would go to the temple. That's where he was, that's where he lived. And now Peter's saying, there's a new structure that God's building for him to live in. The difference this time is it's not made out of bricks and mortar, but it's made out of people. And each person uh, is, is built into that building like a living stone. We are living stones in a spiritual house. You are a living stone. If you've got a PhD, then you're Dr. Livingstone, I presume. <laughs> See what I did there? Sometimes people talk about a church building and uh, they, they, they call it God's house uh, as though that's where God lives. Or even if they don't use that building, uh, they, they can sometimes have the impression that when you enter a, a church building, somehow you are entering God's presence in a way that you weren't before you entered. As though he dwelt there. But this passage tells us something very different. See, in the Old Testament, you could call... Uh, you could call the temple God's house. That's, that was his dwelling place. That's where he lived. But now that's been replaced. And it's not replaced by another building, but by a group of people. So in the Old Testament, you could point to the temple and you said, that's God's house. Now you, you can point to a group of people, a group of Christians, and call them God's house. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 2.22. He says that people who believe in Jesus are being built together to become a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So God is in the building trade. He is building a dwelling place for himself. But it's not of bricks and mortar. It's made up of people. So, so today, God doesn't live in a building. He doesn't live uh, in a temple, but in his people. We are God's presence on the earth. Where is God present? He's present in Christians. He's present in you and me if we trust in Jesus. Each one of us is a brick in his house and he lives in us. Now in Isaiah, uh, God, says, God says this, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where, is my resting, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. You see, God's saying, look, I made everything. I made the heavens, I made the earth. What building could you possibly build that would be a worthy dwelling place for me to live in? And now we get this amazing truth that God has chosen us to be that dwelling place. The creator of all the universe chooses us to live in on earth. What a tremendous privilege. Wherever, wherever we go, God goes. 
whatever we do, we take God with us. See, when a, when a Christian walks into a room, God walks in. If you're a Christian and you enter an office tomorrow full of non-Christians, God enters. If you uh, step into the staff room at school, God steps in. If you go to the pub with your colleagues, God goes to the pub with your colleagues. If people ask, where can I see God? The answer we ought to be able to give them is, look at Christians. If people ask, where can I meet God? We should be able to say, spend time with Christians. The Puritan Thomas Brooks said, the Christian's whole life should be nothing but a visible representation of Christ. See, the holiest thing any non-Christian is going to meet, is going to encounter in this world, is a Christian. Scary, isn't it? It's because God lives in you. And what the world sees of God, it sees in us. As Christians, you are God's presence on the earth. That is your identity. That is your status. And secondly, you are God's people among the nations. Look at verse 9 and following. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And, and Peter there is clearly looking back to the time of the Exodus in the Old Testament. God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out to Mount Sinai. He gave them the law and he made a covenant with them that they would be his people And he says to them, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Peter's using the same language there to talk about Christians. He's saying that privilege is now ours. It's Christians, those who trust in Jesus Christ, who are God's chosen people. We've been rescued from the slavery of sin. We have the law written on our hearts. God's made a new covenant with us. We are his people. We are that holy nation belonging to God. And it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it or we're better than anyone else. But it's entirely his grace. As we saw last week, it's because he chose us. He showed us mercy. Once we'd not received mercy, now we have received mercy. Once we weren't his people, now we are his people, purely by the grace of God that gives us what we don't deserve. Now, uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were, they were one nationality. They were in one uh, geographical location. And in, in many ways, they were separate from the rest of the world. But it's different for Christians. We read last week, didn't we, the opening verse of the book, uh, that... that 
we saw that the Christians that Peter's writing to were strangers and aliens in the world scattered throughout the nations. We are God's people amongst the nations. So Jesus said, go out into all the world. He didn't say, go and uh, make a holy huddle or go and uh, make a Christian ghetto. We're not to have like a siege mentality or draw the wagons into a circle. We're to be out there in the world. Peter says in verse 12, live such holy lives amongst the pagans. The expectation there is that we will be living amongst unbelievers, not retreating from the world and separating ourselves off in a kind of Christian subculture. But as Christians, we are to be salt and light in our society. We are God's people among the nations. So if you're a Christian and you're a teacher, then you are God's person in the school. If you are a Christian doctor, then you are God's person in the hospital or in the clinic. If you're a Christian student, then you are God's person in your college or your university. And all over the world, even in, even in countries that are overwhelmingly not Christian, in, in communist countries, Muslim countries, God has got his people. There are Christians there amongst the unbelievers. Christians are God's people among the nations. And our primary task, that means, as God's people is in the world, that's where God's put us. Our primary task is not in the church. Our main task is out there in the world. And I think if you ask many Christians, uh, what is your main area of service for God? I think a lot of people would say something like, well, I teach junior church on a Sunday. Or I play in the music group on a Sunday. Or I preach on a Sunday. And they're all good things. Please don't stop doing them. Or we'll be in trouble. But, uh, but our real service for God is out there in the world between Sundays. Our service on a Sunday, uh, our, our home groups midweek are there to equip us and encourage us and send us out to get on with being God's people among the nations. The Puritans uh, used to call Sundays the market day of the soul. So just like on market day you, you'd go and stock up on everything you needed to get you through the week. On a Sunday it was a market day of the soul. You would go and you would get everything you needed spiritually to get you through the week. So you come on a Sunday, you get equipped, you get encouraged, you get, you get sent back out with all you need to serve God the rest of the week. It's like a pit stop in a Formula One race where you uh, get sorted out, you get refueled and sent back out as quickly as possible to get on with what you're there for. So you are God's presence on the earth. You are God's people among the nations. And thirdly, you are God's priests in the world. We see that in verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. I see it also in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Did you realise that if you are a Christian, then you are royalty? Did you realise that if you're a Christian, you are a priest? Now, in the Old Testament, kings and priests were, were intermediaries. So the king, for example, was, was God's representative. He mediated God's rule over his people. And likewise, the priests were also intermediaries. They mediated the relationship between, between God and people. So the, the Old Testament priests, they worked in the temple and they'd offer sacrifices and prayer on behalf of the people. They represent the people to God. And they taught the law and represented God to the people. But in fact, uh, all the Israelites, in one sense, were priests. We saw that in that verse from Exodus that I just read, where God says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests. So the Levites were were like priests for for, for the Israelites. But all of Israel were were priests to the nations. Does that make sense? They served, as a nation, they served as mediators between God and the nations. And now Peter says, just as the Israelites were in the Old Testament, now Christians are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You're saved for a purpose. And as priests, we've we've got a job that we do. And there's two aspects to that job. Firstly, uh, look what it says in verse 5. We have to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, Peter's not talking about uh, animal sacrifices that deal with sin. We don't need to offer those anymore. Our sin has been dealt with paid for once for all by the death of Jesus on the cross. But Peter's talking about us responding to what God's done by giving our lives to him. And the Apostle Paul says the same thing in in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, So because of what God's done for us, in response to his grace, we give ourselves, we give our lives to him as a sacrifice and we live in accordance to his word. Peter mentions it again in in verse 11. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So he says something of the result there as well. As we offer our lives to God, people will see it and it's going to make an impact. Peter says that God will use the goodness of our lives to draw people to himself. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 5. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. But as well as our lives, we are to represent God in our words We're to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, when we realise who we are as God's chosen people, when we realise that we're his treasured possession, we will declare his praises to the world. We'll tell people how amazing this God is 
who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. As priests in the world, his praise will ever be on our lips. So, we're God's presence in the, on the earth. We're God's people among the nations. We are God's priests in the world. Well, what does that look like as we uh, go about our everyday lives? Well, that's what the rest of the book of 1 Peter is about. Peter uh, looks at different circumstances and he, and he describes what it will look like to, to live out the Christian faith in that situation. And we'll be looking at some of that over the next couple of weeks. But he gives us a brief summary here in verses 11 and 12. Look at those verses. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So basically, uh, what Peter is saying there is, is that because of who we are, we're going to live very differently from the rest of the world. And, and we see that throughout the book of 1 Peter, there's this constant expectation that, that the world is going to live one way, but, but we as Christians are going to live another way, and we're going to stand out, we are going to look different. You see, we don't belong here, this is not our home. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. And as a result, we're going to live as aliens and strangers here, as foreigners, as people who don't quite fit in, people who don't belong, who don't feel at home here. seems to me that uh, as Christians, we spend a lot of time trying to convince our friends that we're normal. Well, Peter says, Christians are not normal. They are weird if we live consistently with who we are, the world is going to look at us and we are going to look strange. We're going to look different. Our lives, our attitudes, our words are going to seem strange to them. They're going to seem alien. And perhaps what we need to ask ourselves this morning then is, do we look strange? Do we look different? Do our friends think that the way we live our lives is strange? If not, then perhaps we've forgotten who we are. If we're not constantly remembering and rediscovering and realising our identity in Christ, then we'll slip into being just the same as all the world around us. And the central message of, of the Christian faith is that when we, when we come to Jesus, when we, when we repent, when we confess, when we are reborn, when we are uh, redeemed, when we rebirth, we are not who we were. You are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You have a new identity. You, you were a sinner. You used to be of the world. But now, even though you still uh, mess up, even though you still fail, you are fundamentally a saint. You are no longer of the world. And that doesn't mean that you don't uh, sin, doesn't mean that you don't mess up sometimes, but you are not who you were. You are a new creation. You've joined the saints. You have been remade. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. 
And perhaps one of the reasons why uh, so many churches in our generation get, get so fixated on, on the rules and doing certain things is because when you lose who you are and your identity and your status in Jesus, then all you're left with is, is trying to do a bunch of rules and sin management. Perhaps as one uh, preacher, Stuart Briscoe, says, if we taught people who they are in Christ, then we wouldn't have to spend so much time telling them what to do. You are God's presence on the earth. You are God's people among the nations. You are God's priests in the world. The message translates verses uh, 9 and 10 like this. And this is true of you, if you are a Christian this morning. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. 